Hey, uh, we know that Logan and Sardine Canyons uh, had issues and were closed down for times today. But as of right now, they are both open. But still be cautious. Go slow. Give yourself extra time. But uh, as of right now, all mountain passes in this area are open. So just want to let you know. Yeah, but just Be drive safe. safe, please. Yeah, drive safe. Uh, you know, stay in stay in your lane. Um, don't need to be in a rush to get somewhere. If you have to be in a rush, then leave early. Uh, just be smart on the roads, please. We don't need any major accidents or pileups or anything like that. So be smart. Uh, if you want to text into the show, uh, it's our invitation to you, 435-339-0321. Again, 435-339-0321. we got an absolutely jam-packed show for you. Aggies beat Fresno in game one. We'll get to the keys and what we saw. Um, we'd love to hear your thoughts as well. Love to hear what you liked, what you disliked. Aggies, Fresno will do it uh, tomorrow, game two, 8 p.m., FS1, before they come home to play Wyoming series and then back on their own in Boise State and then back home for the finale for a Friday-Sunday matchup against the Nevada Wolfpack. Um, and I'm guessing that uh, men's game will be an evening game because the women play on Sunday that same day as well at home. So both will play at home uh, on that day. So. Um, oh, really? Yeah. So is that part of a makeup for the girls? Uh, I believe I know. I I actually I don't even know. No, because the makeup doesn't be till the following week. That oh. Nevada series is just part of the regular season. No, oh. but they're actually having both games. Trying at to home. do a double header. Yep. Okay. So, uh, yeah, and then Jazz uh, over the Hawks. Uh, it was a slow start. Got it going in the second half. Very similar to Aggie basketball, uh, and then pulled away from the Hawks. They now face. Uh, that one player that we will not mention, and the Charlotte Hornets tonight. Why? Yeah, I actually want to get into that conversation with you. <laughs> Why not? Uh, well, well, I mean, well, I want to hear from our wonderful listeners too. Uh, are you over the Gordon Hayward situation? Um, and Eric and I will kind of tell our experience. I was actually at the studio in Salt Lake when it was announced. Um, and you know, you were probably out with family or whatever, but checking your phone every five seconds like everybody else was. So we'll get into that. And, uh, and and what it meant and how the Jazz were able to rebound. And before we preview the Hornets-Jazz tonight, uh, Jazz continue to have the best record in the league as of right now. We'll also have our Friday Five Best, which will feature uh, our – what? Well, how would you phrase it? Five most unbreakable records, five greatest sports achievements record-wise? Um, I, I, Well, for me, I, I put it in my mind as the five most unbreakable records. Okay. The five records in sports that are the most unbreakable. Which I guess would be some like in kind of regard and connected to be the five greatest sports achievements. Like if you're able to do yeah. this, my gosh, I mean that's incredible, right? And uh and again, this was not easy to put together. No. I think there's a lot of subjectivity. Give credit to five three three eight on this uh, on this category. This is a yes, great good one. Inspiration I had a lot of fun looking that. over at it and, and and finding it out. So yeah, we'll uh, we'll get into that into the uh show as well. Uh, again, four three five three three nine zero three two one. Eric, should we talk some Maggie basketball? Let's. Uh, Let's start out with the text from nine three one five. Yes, please do. Go ahead. Last night, USU basketball game was great, but there was some scary moments. One big one where big man fell down on the court. Great to see the bench get so many minutes. Yeah, in fact, there's two categories that we'll have to talk about. There were two heavy topics. One of them being the bench. Um, Final score from Safe Smart Center in Fresno, California in Game 1. Utah State 69, Fresno State 53. Utah State improves to 14-5, and five, stays on the heels of Boise State 
eleven and two Mountain West play. Fresno State, meanwhile, now falls to five hundred overall at seven and seven and five and seven in Mountain West play. Bench was absolutely phenomenal. Uh, they had thirty two points. Uh, it came from three very great contributors: Alfonso, who had thirteen; Ashworth had ten; and Trevin Dorius. Funny that we actually. Well, funny that I asked about him, and then funny that he had the game that he had. Um, Dorius was absolutely lights out coming in for important minutes for Nimi, who was uh, who went down. Uh, he seems to be okay. Looks like he'll be okay for tomorrow's for game two. Um, and but Eric, I thought Dorius was wonderful. Oh, huge! And they were going to him in the first half too, and he was playing well. Before Nimi got hurt, before he went down with his injury, I thought that Dorius was having a significant impact on the game, uh, playing good defense. I thought he was more aggressive offensively. Uh, he had deflections that don't show up in a stat sheet, but uh, he did have a couple of blocks. He did have a couple of steals. Um, just a great game uh, by Trevin Dorius um, in, in 17 very strong quality minutes off the bench. Yeah, uh, Doris was absolutely wonderful. I thought Alfonso was really good as well. He went 5 and <sighs> yes. from the field, 2 or 3 from deep. He in 22 minutes, 13 points, 4 boards. Uh, one of those was an offensive board too. Like, And we've talked about it before. I think we talked about it before and after the San Diego State Series, Eric. Like, He thrives under the physical play of basketball. He is not afraid to body it up. And, and Coach Smith uses him a lot in those kind of matchups. Well, that's what's so great about Alfonso Anderson, his versatility. Um, he can mix it up in the low post against guys that are bigger than him, and he doesn't mind bodying them up and pushing them off the low block. Um, but then he can also go out and defend on the perimeter. Um, and I think because of his, his uh, good defensive effort, that helped get him moving and grooving and feeling pretty good about his impact on the game. And uh, ball gets kicked out to him. He's on the corner right in front of his bench. Hits a three-point shot. That was massive. Gets excited. Game. Comes down and almost the next play, takes it to the to the hole. He's right in the low block. Uh, runs it uh, up there. You know, gets the lay-in. Gets fouled as it goes in. Uh, Fresno State calls the timeout. Coming back from the timeout, he hits the free the the free throw. So essentially, two three-point plays back to back. For Alfonso Anderson, really loved his impact on the game, especially in the second half. Let's go through a couple other lines as well. Uh, Justin Bean, who went two of four, one on one from deep in 17 minutes, he had five points, five boards, uh, two assists. Sort of, a, I guess, in the Bean standard, was a quiet night for him. He was still really good, though. Yeah, but I think that three point shot when that was that inside out game that was really working well that uh, Nimi does so well. The uh, ball goes down to to uh, Keta in the low post. And he sees Bean wide open because they are always trying to double or bring pressures in different places on Nimi. So Keta recognizes Justin's wide open at the top of the key, kicks it back out to him. Justin hits the three. And I think at that point, that was like the defining moment that, yes, Utah State absolutely has this game in control. Fresno State, it was nice knowing you, but this game's over. Uh, for me, that was the death knell for the Bulldogs. When when Justin Bean hit that three, that w the game was over at that point. Uh, Namish Keta was wonderful again. I mean, you just you just push rewind and play when you talk about this guy game after game. Five and nine from the field. Uh, he did have that injury, so he came out. But in 21 minutes, he had 14 points. He had five boards, five blocks. Uh, and by the way, the five blocks uh, now put him uh, in a tie with Sean Daniels. 
or not, sorry, uh, yeah, it was Sean Daniels for third place in a single season, and that's the 99-2000 Sean Daniels. He's one block away from tying for second place with Sean Daniels for the 2000-2001 season, and then he's 24 blocks away from beating, guess who, Namish Keta. So it's Namish <laughs> Keta, Sean, Dion, Sean Daniels, Namish Keta, and then Sean Daniels again in the blocks area. And then in regards of rebounds, uh, Namish with his, how many boards did he have, man? Five? He had five. He uh, now uh, has surpassed Jalen Moore uh, for 15th all-time in uh, school history in rebounds. Like, the guy's just, it's almost one game after the next. He's setting some sort of a record and does it again. Impressive. Yeah, and he really dialed it up in that second half. I thought it was interesting listening to Craig Smith after the game. They didn't really talk about forcing more into the paint and getting more action in the paint with Nimi. Um they just collectively seemed to recognize that they needed to do that. I thought that was interesting after the game. Uh, Coach Smith uh, said, realized that, uh, look, this is an area that we need to do better at, but we, he didn't need to talk about it. They just knew it. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I love about Nimi is that he's never been, um, he's never been like downgradingly competitive with me. Um, all last year and this year, his competitiveness with me has always been like, we're going to we're gonna both get better while I'm here. And so it's really cool. I come out and um, the first thing Nimi does is he grabs me. He's like, you played one hell of a game. You're an animal. And I was like, dang, Nimi, like, I, it just, he's probably one of my favorite guys to be around with on the team. Because every time, every time I do something good, Nimi's the first guy to congratulate me about it. And then at the same time, Nimi's a smart player. And whenever I do something wrong, he's always able to tell me, um, tell me what I got to do to fix it. Cause ultimately we're both aiming for the same place. My bad. That's Trevin Dorius, by the way, who's speaking about Nimi. Uh, Trevin got the opportunity and the honor to be at the podium. You could tell it was his first time that he's working on that. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> Dorius is at the podium, yeah, but it was uh, fun. A good experience for him. Uh, as Eric, as you mentioned, uh, coach Smith talks about Nimi, uh, Al Abu's asked this question about going inside to, to Keta Moore as the game went on. I mean, we talk about establishing inside on a regular basis. I didn't, quite frankly, at halftime, I didn't bring it up specifically um, to our guys. Now, certainly some of the sets that we ran in the second half were much more geared to go to him. And our guys just did a way better job of just playing within the flow of our offense and getting it inside. And we always want to have a good inside game, a good middle game, and a good three-point game. But certainly when you have a guy with his talent around the basket, um, you got to take advantage of that. And our guys did a much better job of that in the second half. And that's to the credit of our guys. Again, it's it's understanding where it's working and just going there. If it's not broken, you know, don't need to fix it. Um, and, and I felt like continually they just went inside because that's where they were getting the majority of their stuff. In fact, what, I don't even know what the points in the paint was. It was twenty six to twenty four for Fresno State. Oh wow! Now it was it, that seems close, but it was really lopsided in the first half. Utah State didn't have a heck of a whole lot in the paint in the first half, uh, and they started to swing it closer in the second. Um, but Fresno had their two seven footers on the floor, and uh, they were really going after the Aggies in the low post. Um, but uh, it was it was fun to watch Nimi go to work 
there in the second half. Oh Eight of like gosh. the first ten yeah. points were from Nimishketa well, we in the, the post. Ball too. I think there was like one possession. You might have saw this as well. Like, ball got swung to one side of, and it, he wasn't really on the block, Nimi wasn't, but he was there in position, he's calling for the ball, and they don't get it to him, so instead of just, like, standing on that side of the block, he seals off his guy and screams for it, and, and you can just almost see him say, give me the you-know-what ball, and they give it to him, he turns around the right hook, I mean, nothing but, uh, nothing but net, just... He's so good when he's in control. The other thing, and you brought this up yesterday before the game, actually. Um, they doubled him quickly. I mean, they were sending it immediately. Like, when the ball was in the air towards Nimi, you saw a backside double almost every single time. And I felt like he had a trouble with that for the first little bit and then adjusted. Yeah, he did. And that's what's so great about him is he was able to adjust. Whether how he did his footwork, uh, how he uh, played around it or through it, or how he found the open guy, like we talked about with Justin Bean. And such a stark difference between how he handled it and how Orlando Robinson handled it. Because the Aggies were quick to double Orlando uh, quickly, too. And he just really didn't know how to handle it. He would pick up his dribble, and then he's just like pivoting around, and I don't know what to do. Or he'd back out and try to be more of a ball handler. And so the, uh, the Aggie double on Orlando Robinson was really effective. But with Nimi... He just, it's been happening to him so much. Uh, he was comfortable in the situation and then used it as an advantage for his teammates finding the open guy. Let's get Coach Smith's opening statement here. There's a lot of good stuff in it. I uh, want to use it as he explains, you know, what adjustments they had to make as the game went on. It wasn't pretty, but it was good enough. And by the way, I think he gets an artist and a singer mixed up. If I read a tweet <laughs> yeah. right. Yeah. Mozart, the great singer. Here's Coach. Well, um, it's a good road win for the Aggies. You know, these guys were 7-1 and one at home and had been outscoring people by 15 a game at home and 7.5 and rebounds. So, um, you know, I thought we, we got off to, I mean, up 5-0, and then we just kind of a it, – it, it, it wasn't a painting by Mozart – or no, Mozart's a singer. Uh, <laughs> Van Gogh. Is Van Gogh an artist? Yeah. Uh, it wasn't like a, a painting by Van Gogh. Uh, I told one, our, our scorekeeper, I was like, well, and I, I, I kind of fumbled the same way to him. And he goes like Van Gogh. And I was like, yeah, I like that guy. And I said, it looks more like me uh, drawing stick men. Um, but, you know, credit them. I thought it, it showed like that we were maybe a little, I don't want to say rusty, but, you know, we don't play a game for eight, for eight days. Kind of takes a while to measure the other team up. And we were a little bit disjointed, I thought, on offense, specifically that first half. Uh, and then, you know, on the defensive end, just some really careless mistakes, um, not executing our game plan, um, not communicating the way we typically communicate. I thought we got, you know, we gave up seven points on offensive rebounds in the first half, and the rebounding was a big key. I believe they were number two re offensive rebounding team in the in the Mountain West Conference behind us. Um, and then, uh, and then just not doing what we need to do in transition defense. I thought they hurt us that way. And then just some senseless mistakes where we gave up eight, eight points that way. But proud of our how we played in the second half. Uh, really established Kata inside. And that makes the game a lot easier for everybody. Uh, I thought we defended very, very hard and executed our game plan. And just made, just made it a lot more difficult for them in the second half. So... Um, 17 assists on 26 made baskets is an outstanding number. And, 
And and then I thought our bench was outstanding tonight. You know, we scored 32 points off the bench. Fonz was really, really good. Um, Trevin Dorius played outstanding. Um, Steven Ashworth um, was the kind of the, you know, made some big shots specifically in that first half to just kind of keep us at bay or keep us, you know, that small margin. And then Sean didn't play as much, but I thought he played well as well in his time. So our bench, I thought, was big for us um, tonight. Again, that's Coach Smith there uh, in his opening statement about the game. Uh, yeah, what was it, like 32 points off the bench? Yeah, 32 to 31, actually. Their bench was at 32-31, I believe. 32-27. 27, thank you. Their bench was actually really good as well. Hey, uh, the most impressive number that comes out, uh, and I think it stands out to you as well, not one double-figure score for the Fresno State Bulldogs. None. Zero. First time all season that's happened for the Aggies. And they have three guys who average doubles, uh, double figures. Uh, Orlando Robinson, he's like 15 and a half. Uh, Stroud, he's about 13. And Isaiah Hill averages about 10 points a game. And th- this is what these, these guys ended up with. Orlando Robinson finished with eight. Stroud finished with five. And Isaiah Hill finished with two. That was incredible. Wow. Great defensive effort by Utah State. Stroud got himself into foul trouble. I think you have to credit Marco Anthony a lot for that, how he uh, attacked him. But he was also playing defense with his hands and got himself in trouble. Um, but uh, great great effort by the Aggies in the way they're able to really um, kind of eliminate their, their top players for Fresno State. Yeah, absolutely. And then the other side, as we already talked about already, uh, Fonzo. Not only does he score in double figures, he did so coming off the bench. Phenomenal again, five of nine from the field, two of three from deep. Uh, Coach Smith was asked about Fonzo, and here's his response. I just thought he had a good look to him. Uh, I thought he did a little bit of everything. He was really in stance guarding the ball. I thought he was on point with um, our game plan and, and just really moving and sharing it, making good decisions. Obviously, he, um, I mean, he had a couple threes, two for three from the field. Um, but just played within himself and played well. You know, I, I, I'm not sure I could pinpoint one thing. You know, um, I just thought he had a good look to him. And I know that might sound a little, um, what's the right word? I'm not sure how maybe you guys would perceive that. But, you know, when you're around these guys as much as we are, you get to know, you just get to know them and what, what their body language is. Are they locked in, the look on them? And it's hard to explain that, but you just know it when you see it. And he just had a really good look to him. I thought Justin Bean played really well as well. You know, he made a – before we subbed him out, he made a three at the top of the key. Uh, we ran a play for for Nimi, and Nimi didn't force it. He got double team, kicked it out to Bean, and he sticks it. So, you know, I think Fonz has definitely been playing a lot better here in the last three weeks uh, in practice and in games, and it's easy to see, and we, and we need that. It's crazy because it only takes one bucket for him to get going. Once he hits a bucket, then he's, I mean, he is absolutely in rhythm and it's its on with the guy. It's incredible. Yeah, he really seems to get going. It's kind of the same thing with uh, with Brock Miller. If he gets a bucket early, it's a really good sign for the rest of the game for Utah State. And, and speaking of Brock, uh, we were joking, with, joking about this after the game. When's the last time that he had seven shot oh, attempts? Yeah, I saw your tweet. And none of them were for three. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't think that's ever happened, by the way. Yeah, like, r- crazy. I, I, I thought, well, this would be kind of fun. I started, so I started going back, and I didn't feel like going back through his whole entire career. But um, when he, the last, 
I'll say this. When the last 15 games that I had saw of him uh, on the stat sheet, he had not t- – I mean, every game he's taken at least one three. Well, he's had like well, – Al Lewis looked it up last night. He's had like almost 150 shot attempts. 100 of those have been for three. For I really got to do better – I got to do some research into that though. Yeah, that's – but. That's incredible. But I think what it does illustrate is here's a guy who's maturing and growing and understanding how to help his team win. Yeah. And he's not just going to, that's my game. That's what I do. He's yeah. not that kind of a guy. Never anymore. has been, he, either has he? Yeah, no, I, and I it's don't think it is. His style. He's just, look, I'm going to do what the game gives me, and I'm still going to make things happen to help my team win. Oh, my gosh, there is a game log. I need to look this up. All right, so <laughs> you ready for this? Check this out. Looking, the last time he didn't take a three was in last year's Mount West Conference Championship. In fact, he didn't take a shot at all. 17 minutes, he didn't take a shot. Um, That was the last time he didn't take a three. Okay, so in, in, the, in, the in a game where he has game. taken, okay. made field goal attempts, when was the last time that none of those attempts were for three? Were three. Uh, da, 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 da. wow, yeah, it's never happened. I'm looking at the game log right now of his career. It's never happened. That'd be the first time. <laughs> Very interesting. Very interesting. I, and you know what? And I think it's great uh, because some of those shots, they're little floaters. They're mid-range jumpers. And uh, he was he was helping to provide some good offense. Especially there in the right. first half. He didn't shoot once in that championship game? Yeah, that seems surprising to me that he didn't have one field goal attempt. I need to look that up. That's That can't be right. I swear he missed a three or something. I'll have to look at that. Uh, six, five, four, three, good texts. Okay. Uh, help me get off the fence. Are we this good? Or are there just a lot of bad teams in the Mountain West Conference? I think San Diego State and Colorado State are pretty darn good. I think Boise State's pretty good. And by the way, those three teams that we just mentioned are right now all considered NCAA tournament teams in a 68-team field. Almost every reputable bracket prediction that you can find has Boise State, San Diego State, Colorado State in it. Yep. All of them. Yep. All until Joel Lenardi has is very high in favor, by the way, of both San Diego State and Boise State. Likes Colorado. Uh, Utah State's the number two team in the Mountain West. Why aren't they considered, you might say? Uh, well, there are a few, like Fox Sports, that have Utah State in. Most brackets have them just on the outside looking in. Look, Utah State's a good basketball team, all right? They've played some good competition. They barely lost to, to BYU, a team that I think is going to actually give Gonzaga a run for their money on Monday night at the Marriott Center. I think BYU is going to make them sweat it out. I don't know if they beat them, but they're going to make them sweat it out with them. Uh, by the way, a couple other numbers just to help 6-4-5-3 or 6 5 4 3 to help them up or at least push them off the fence in a very mean manner to the other side, the good side, I should say. Craig Smith is 5-1 and one versus the Bulldogs in his career. The only one he's not is the buzzer beater, I believe, or near buzzer beater in the first year that they uh, lost at home. Uh, I think they hit a buzzer beater, they sent it into overtime, and then lost that game. That's, that's the only loss he has against the Bulldogs. 
Uh, they're 58 and 7 all the time when leading at half. They're 12 and 1 in the season when leading at half. They led at 33 29. They've out rebounded every single opponent this season. Uh, that's that's awesome. They shot 50% again. That's the seventh time they've done that this year. Uh, and it's, let's see, the 53 points that they allowed. It's the ninth time the Aggies have held a league opponent under 60 plus points. And they are 33 and 1 all time under Smith when they do that. Yeah, really. A- it's not bad. One of the top defensive teams in the country. Um, really good, good team. Mountain West is not necessarily full of bad teams. Yes, there are some of the bottom who oh, are bad. And, but yeah, he's right. There is but, like a big gap. But look, look what Wyoming did to Colorado State last night. What happened there? Played him to the wire. Had the lead, and then just went cold for like six, seven minutes, hmm. which allowed Colorado State to get back into it. The Rams get a lead. Wyoming. Tries to chip into it a little bit at the very end, but eventually Colorado State ends up winning by two. Now that's a rivalry game at Border War. Those two teams don't like each other. It's a good little rivalry there in the Mountain West. So records don't always mean the same as it would otherwise. But um, this, the game on Saturday between Wyoming and Colorado State will be very interesting to, for me to keep an eye on because not only because Wyoming is Utah State's next opponent. But was that game last night kind of a fluke? Or the Cowboys maybe a little bit better team that Aggie fans should be <laughs> taking a little bit more seriously? Uh, I think it's a fluke. I think it's a two-game series. One of them is bound to be close. That was the one. I think Roddy and the Rams make adjustments, and I think that game tomorrow night ends up being a blowout. Would So you weren't watching the game. You weren't keeping an eye on it. But had you been watching it and seeing earlier in the game that Wyoming had the lead, yeah. Would you have been cheering for Wyoming to win? No, I need Colorado State. Or to would win. you be cheering for Colorado yeah. State to come back and get the victory? You, we need the Rams to win. We split with the Rams, so we need them to win. As hard as that is to say, because I'm, uh, yeah. Because it's on hard. one hand, it keeps Colorado State right on the heels of Utah State in the conference standings, but on the other, it maintains a quality net ranking and a quality. A representative of the Mountain Look, West. In the end, you want your Mountain West Conference to be successful, right? I mean, when we go and we watch the selection show in March on a Sunday, after the Aggies get done winning the Mountain West Conference Championship, you want to be able to watch that selection show and see Mountain West teams just pop up. Multiple. Yeah, you want to see three teams, four teams, whatever it takes, pop up and be able to just kind of look at the world and say, there's the Mountain West Conference for you. Four teams in a 68-team field belong to the Mountain West Conference. I'm cheering for Colorado State unless they're playing the Aggies. I'm cheering for Boise State unless they're playing the Aggies. I'm cheering for San Diego State unless they're playing the Aggies. And that's how it's going to be the rest of the way. And you know what? They should be doing the exact same for us. Like you said, uh, Colorado State uh, beat Boise. And what did you say? All right. Okay. Remember, <laughs> it's a team effort here. For the good so of now, the league. Yeah, now you got to gotta sacrifice. Do the right thing, Lose Boise. the game for Boise. And that, what do you know? Colorado State lost. So it does. It ends up uh, coming full turnaround. Uh, but, uh, yeah. Uh, two quick things really quickly before we go to break. I know we got to go to break. Uh, Dorius, again, was really good. Uh, here is Trevin Dorius on the bench play from the Aggies. Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, it's a it's a good group of guys. The, the guys you just mentioned, that's some good company to be a part of. I mean, Steven's probably one of the quickest guards I've ever played with or against. He's just crafty, and he always is always looking a couple plays ahead to make sure he's um, making the right play. And then Fonz is, Fonz is just a threat um, on all – like 
at all spots on the floor. Um, so, I mean, playing with them, I never have any, like, I never have any doubts or wonder um, if coach made the right decision because any one of us and um, are able to come in and make the right play. So it's a good group of guys. I like them a lot. I think we all play really well together, um, and it's a lot of fun. And then Trevin Dorius obviously got some important minutes, and a guy who's been working his butt off to get there. You know, I love what Craig Smith said. I think it was he said in his presser. But uh, he said, look, Trevin Dorius is a really good basketball player. There's just one problem. There's a guy named Namiya Shkeda that's standing in front of him that's, yeah, like, you, you, how, you can't bench the guy. And so uh, Trevin Dorius got the opportunity to play some important minutes yesterday, and he really enjoyed that. Yeah, uh, you know, it definitely, it definitely feels good. You know, um, as each game comes and goes, um, minutes are never really promised to anyone. Um, and Coach is here to get a win, regardless of if you've been playing 30 minutes a game or if you've been playing five minutes a game, he's here to get a win. And so, like, it's tough. Um, it's tough to earn minutes when we've got someone like Nimi that's playing at the level that he's playing. But, you know, I, I was just grateful today that coaches trusted me to go in when um, Nimi went down there in the second half. And, you know, we're just, I, it just, it just felt good. You know, it felt good to be rewarded. Um, it's been tough, but it felt good. It felt good, just in case you didn't know. It did feel good. <laughs> I'm happy for him. It, I love Dory. It's fun yeah. that we were just talking about his his role and how it's improving, and he you know needs to be there to help his teammates. And well, he came through in a big way last night. Yeah, he was phenomenal, especially against a team with two big dudes of their own, actually three. And uh, I really thought that he held his own out there. Yeah, I'm with you again. Final score last night: sixty nine fifty three. Utah State pulls away and beats. Uh, Fresno State in Game 1 at Safe Smart Center. They'll do it again tomorrow night, 8 o'clock on FS1 before they come home and face uh, Wyoming. So, All right, uh, let's take a break. Come back, we're going to talk some jazz basketball. Nice win over the Hawks. Now they get to play the Hornets in a back-to-back on the road before they get set for Indiana. We're going to recap last night's game. We're going to preview tonight and Sunday's game. And we also need to talk Gordon Hayward's situation. Yeah, well, and I'd also, before we leave the Utah State basketball t- discussion, I'd like to see what you think might be different tomorrow between the Aggies oh, and yeah. the Bulldogs. Yeah, no, that's a good, okay. Uh, and by the way, uh, 9315, can we have a pie-throwing contest that said someone come to Utah play the Jazz? Uh, then we can get over and forget it, seeing it was so long ago. It was so long ago, but I think we all kind of remember um, where we were when it happened and what we were kind of thinking as it happened and, and where this team might, how, how much it was going to set him back. So, uh, we'll get into that and much, much more. And then of course, uh, our, our, our predictions, I guess. Yeah. Cause they play tomorrow. So we got our predictions and keys in tomorrow's uh, Aggie game. If you want to text into the show, four, three, five, and your three, Super Bowl predictions too. Three, three, nine, zero, three, two, one again, four, three, five, three, three, nine, zero, three, two, one. Derek France and LJ South here on the full court press. 9315 text in and says, hey, final score for tomorrow's game two of Aggies in Fresno, 81-59 for the Super Bowl, 24-21. Tom Brady. Yahoo for the bandwagon. Okay. For you bandwagoners, you're welcome. Okay? The Bucks bandwagon welcomes everybody. We're not inclusive. 
to just anybody. You're not inclusive to just anybody? Yeah. Like, we include everybody. So you're not ex- exclusive to anybody. You're inclusive to everybody. Just want to try to keep you on the straight path there, AJ. It's a daily, daily chore. Inclusive, eh? No. Okay, so anyways, uh, yeah, so Aggies at Fresno tomorrow at uh, 8 p.m. on FS1. 81.59 for prediction. Um, that's too heavy I for think me. that's a little aggressive. I think that look, they got two, three. They have three seven footers, two that give regular rotation minutes. Their three main guys had off nights. They're going to be motivated Saturday to try to make a difference. I still like the Aggies to win, but I think it'll be Utah State by seven. I'm going to say Aggies sixty-eight. Fresno 61. See, I was thinking 70 to 60 Aggies. I mean, I mean, I think it's it's not uncomfortably close, but it's just you know, we're like stretch your arm out and hold them right there until we get to the final buzzer. Yeah, and I think it'll really be the last, I don't know, 3-4 minutes, maybe 5 minutes mm-hmm. that Utah State really starts to separate. Uh again, final score last night was uh, 69-53 in game 1. Tomorrow game 2, 8 p.m. Fresno with on FS1 pregame at 7 p.m. with Al and Jalen Moore and uh, postgame so, with Eric so and Al. Both of you and I feel like this will be a closer contest. So well, why? why what, though, what will huh? be different? But yeah, see, okay, so here's that actually is a solid question because Coach Smith was asked the exact same question about this uh, in yesterday's postgame. Listen to his answer, and I think it kind of answers for uh, both of us. Yeah, it, it's. Um, Every game is a bit different that way. It is difficult, I think, mentally when you're playing the same team twice in three days. Now, it's easier from a game plan standpoint because they know all the players. Um, you've, you've had a full game to measure each other up physically, athletically on the floor. Oh, this guy's stronger than he looks. Oh, this guy is quicker than he looks. Oh, this guy's smoother than I realize. Whatever it might be. Um, I think the second game is just harder um, from both sides, you know, because the preparation and because the the players have much better feel for what's going on and what's trying to be established and the guys they're guarding. Um, I just think, so I think it's harder to score usually. I think, um, you know, that first game, you don't always know where teams are going to attack you. I mean, you you obviously make some educated guesses on what they're going to try to do and attack you. Um, and so usually where, where teams, where we hurt them or they hurt us, you know, in that day in between, you work hard to take that stuff away. Um, so it's much harder to get that, those same kind of things in game two. So, uh, and then the mental side of it, you know, for us, you're on the road for four straight days, right? Or depending on how that game went to get yourself back up with that energy, um, to play the same team, you know, two times in three days. So there's a lot of things. And, you know, early on, I didn't know how many adjustments. And, of course, there's always adjustments. But it's hard to make just, like, this insane amount of adjustments in a one in, in that in-between day because how much, how long are you practicing? You know, what are you going to do on that day off 
specifically, it's just hard to change a crazy amount of things in in that kind of a time frame. So a few things. One, it's adjustments from both sides, right? It's the adjustment versus the adjustment. But two, you've seen them once. You have feel like you have a familiar identity with them, and you're not waiting two weeks to play them again. You're it's a day off, and then you play them again. Yeah, I kind of liked what he kind of uh, what he referenced that you you get a chance to size these guys up in the first game. Like, yeah. is this guy really that physical or not? Are they really that talented or not? And so in the second game, you can maybe exploit some of those things better than you thought you could. Or like, oh my gosh, this was uh, they were better at this than we kind of anticipated. Not once you see it in real time and you're seeing it in person. But I like Utah State's depth. I like their experience, their maturity. Uh, I like the Aggies to win this one on Saturday. But if if Fresno State's smart, they'll run that. They'll run uh, Mia and Robinson on the floor together more, because when they were on the floor together. I thought it was really tough for Utah State to handle. They clogged up the paint defensively, and Utah State really had a hard time keeping them out of the paint on the other side. Two seven-footers on the floor. Nimi's got to guard one. Who guards the other seven-footer? Whoever it is, they've severely disadvantaged. Um, but I, I think Fresno State also got put themselves into bad positions where they having two uh, centers or two seven-footers on the floor um, allowed Robinson to go out and be more of a ball handler on the perimeter. And while he does have some skill at that, it wasn't like overwhelmingly good. And he can't, he's not good enough to break down an Aggie defense to get to the hole. So um, I'd be interested to see how they handle that and then how Utah State um, counters they won't run Dorius and Nimi at the same time. So uh, it's going to be a big job for Bean and Alfonso Anderson to body up a big guy for long stretches. Okay, so what's the adjustment that Fresno needs to make and take away from the Aggies for game two? Well, I think Stroud, and I think you have to ask more of Stroud and Hill. I mean, Stroud was in foul trouble most of the game and was ineffective. Hill, only two points. I mean, those are two of your top three guys. And they accounted for, what, six points? Uh, eight points, maybe. Um, so I don't see that happening again. Uh, I, I would suspect that those two guys are going to out, go out there and try to prove something and be more aggressive and try to help their team more. Uh, and so I think Utah State's got to be aware of that, expect more from those guys, and do a better job in the paint. Um, you know, the, uh, they outscored the Aggies in the paint. And with those with their size advantage, second chance points for Fresno State, fifteen to six over the Aggies. Oh wow! So just trying to limit what the, what kind of damage that they could do in the no post. Uh, Nine three one five with two seven footers on the floor. Wouldn't that make it harder to hit the three pointer? Yeah. No. No. I think if. Like, because hitting the three-pointer for the Aggies is all about motion. Does that make sense? Like, they don't just, it's not like a stop, pop, and shot. It's coming off a curl. It's a ball swinging to the corner. It's a driving kick. It's all based off of motion. Now, for Fresno, it's got to be like your set play, but you got to have, like, the right, like, the ball in the right guy's hands, and you've got to make sure you have space, which comes off a screen, if that makes sense. 
It's two different ways to get a three. I don't know if the seven footers really matter though. Yeah. I don't know that they have necessarily close out speed and they're gonna guard the perimeter. Yeah. And I don't think honestly Fresno State's really about worried about their seven footers closing out. Honestly don't think they're worried about that. No. Like if Bean hits a three, they're gonna say, All right, we'll give yep. you it. Go ahead. Yeah. If Nimi hits a three, they're gonna be like, dude, pull the rabbit's foot out and try again. I mean, just they just not worried about that. Now the guard play will have to be more, um, I guess more cautious with that defensively for Fresno. Uh, let's take shoot. Yeah, let's take a break. We'll come back and then we'll uh, talk jazz basketball again. They got a win over the Hawks. Gordon Hayward and the Hornets tonight, and then the Pacers on Sunday. Really starting to pick up here Sunday afternoon. We'll get into uh, all jazz basketball here coming up on the Full Court Press. It's here. Your one chance this year to get BF Goodrich tires at wholesale prices or even less during the discount tire and automotive four-day warehouse sale. Through Saturday, discount has the lowest guaranteed prices of the year. Don't worry. You can still take advantage of this huge sale safely and securely. Buy via their website or over the phone. FaceTime or Zoom is also available with one of Discount's knowledgeable associates. Curbside touchless tire service is available too. Find the best deals on the BF Goodrich All-Terrain KO2 or Mud Terrain KM3. Every BF Goodrich tire has the year's lowest prices, but only through Saturday. Thousands of tires in stock at unbeatable financing. Discounts Layaway lets you take advantage of these hot prices now with just 20% down or choose six months no interest financing. Discount Tire has the lowest tire prices, period. Open till late Wednesday through Friday, six on Saturday, or shop anytime day or night at webtires.net. Don't miss the lowest prices of the year now through Saturday at Discount Tire in Logan, Providence, and Smithfield. Discount Tire. So much more than a tire store. The Aggies are number one here. The Full Court Press. Connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and online at 1069thefan.com. I can those commercials way up loud. Uh, Eric France and Andre Salveson, 1069 The Fan here. Uh, Utah Jazz with a 112-91 win over the Atlanta Hawks last night. Jazz improved to 17-5 and on the season eight and three on the road, Hawks now ten and twelve on the season five and seven at home. Uh, Clarkson was great. He sinked the uh, or he hit five threes. He had twenty three. Jazz continue to have the best record uh, in the NBA. Bogdanovich was twenty one. Mitchell had eighteen. Uh, no Trey Young. Um, Raja Rondo made the start, but he didn't even score. Uh, but the Chris Dunn was out. DeAndre Hunter was out. Collins, I mean, dude, it was so bad for the Hawks that John Collins, who has not led the Hawks in scoring this season yet, had 17 to lead the Hawks. Well, uh, Atlanta did a pretty good job of chasing Utah off the three-point line in the first half and making it tough for the Jazz. Yeah. But in the third quarter, they kind of got back into form. Four of six threes in the third period, 13 of 27 for the game. Ultimately, it does break their streak of 15 or more three-point shots in a game. Um but uh, Mike Connolly was off in the first half. Third quarter, he came out and really took over and set a, a tone. We're talking about Jordan Clarkson. He was great off the bench for the Jazz again. Um, but so, I mean, still kind of a quiet night for Connolly when you look at the stats. But what he did was in the third quarter, and it was huge. It reset the tone. And then Boyan, is, he's finding his, his stroke. Uh, he was... Really critical in the closing minutes against Detroit, uh, and he was good again. Uh, had a, pl- a plus thirty-two Who on did the game. Did? Boyan Bogdanovich. Oh wow, a plus thirty-two. Wow, insane. Uh, uh, at one point, uh, 
at one point, Utah had 12 consecutive points unanswered. Mitchell had half of those. They led at half by eight. Uh, the the Hawks in that half shot 30% from the field. They were 15 of 50 in the first half from the field. That's not going to win you a lot of ball games. Just ask the Aggies. Uh, in the second half, they did better. They were 32 of 98, but they were 32% from the field. For, uh, for, for the game, I should say. I mean, it's just, it's incredible what this defense does in making adjustments and give a lot of credit uh, to Quinn Snyder for this. But for the Utah Jazz, they now lead the NBA with 17 threes per game. They entered the game with 355 threes through 21 games, which, by the way, was the most in league history. Go figure, right? But again, 17 threes per game. By the way, Rudy had 11 and 12 last night. That's, that's just incredible, though. Yeah, Rudy, another double double. Um, I always, I always love watching Rudy Gobert and Clint Capella go at each other. Um, it's a fun matchup. Capella was a monster on the boards; he had seventeen boards, but he only had six points. Um, and I, I thought that their their key big man just really struggled in the paint. I thought Rudy did a really nice job um, making it hard for them to get anything that they did get. That's a good point. Uh, and uh, again, Mike Conley, I thought was was good. He did have his third foul. I think what was it like late first quarter? He had his third foul in the first quarter, and that guy doesn't usually get angry. He's pretty good, but you could tell there was some major frustration on his face with that. For the Hawks, by the way, they played Philadelphia Clippers and Lakers in a tough stretch that we talked about. And according to Coach Pierce, the head coach of the Hawks, Jazz were the best team we have played this year. And he emphasized team. Yes, he did. Absolutely did. All right, let's go ahead and take a break. We'll clean up the first hour. Get ready for the second hour here on the Full Court Press. Interviews, analysis, and a little bit of fun mixed in. The Full Court Press on Sports Talk Radio, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM. The Fan. Here we are on the Full Court Press, wrapping up the first hour. Eric and I'm uh, GA. Good to have you all wherever you are joining us from. Uh, those who are just getting into the car, please drive safe out there. It has stopped snowing, but... Roads are going to be slick, so please, please, please be careful out in that Logan and Sardine Canyons are open. They were closed for times earlier today, but they are open, okay. last we heard. Hey, uh, Eric, we're, we're talking jazz, basketball. We're going to get into the rest of it probably in the next hour here, but in the final 60 seconds, LeBron James says that the All-Star game is a slap in the face of the players. Is that what he said? Yeah. It's a slap in the face of players to have the all-star game. How is it a, how is that a slap in the face? And he says it's a recognition. And, and the, the oh, no, of recognition. I mean, oh, dude, trust me, this gets juicier. He says there he has he, LeBron James, says he, and I quote, has zero energy and zero excitement for the all-star game. So if he is the leading all-star vote getter, do you say, oh, I should go participate? After saying these kind of things, eighteen seconds. By the way, it's a baby. Oh, yeah. I get it. He had a short off season, but oh yeah, how is that a slap in the face? I I'm with you. I, if we're not having an All Star game, why are we having a season? Ah, oh, baby, just opt out. Take your ball and go home, Venus. 
I'm Dan Patrick, and this is Above the Noise. Now that the Super Bowl is getting close, the conversation is shifting towards the game itself. This can be a dangerous spot for the media. It's not easy to figure out how much X's and O's people really want to hear. Nothing is worse than non-analysts trying to act like offensive coordinators. Get a little nervous every time I hear a guy say, you know, five technique or cover four. For many fans, those types of discussions aren't as interesting as talking about the halftime show or what Tom Brady's going to wear to the game. There are some strictly football topics that jump out. The Chiefs' revamped offensive line. How will the Bucks try to stop Tyreek Hill after he torched them for 269 yards during the regular season? Can Tampa establish the run game to keep the ball out of Patrick Mahomes' hands? I know. That's enough. At least for now. There are plenty of places to find that kind of information. Right now, when it comes to Tom Brady's outfits, you know, I'm thinking of a light blue... S- yeah, never mind. I'm Dan Patrick, and this is Above the Noise. If it's the sport you care about, we're talking about it. The Full Court Press on Sports Talk Radio, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM. The Fan. Such a crybaby, 6891 says. LeBron will still play in the All-Star game. He wants the bonus in his contract for making the All-Star team. That's from 9835. Hello, everybody. Full Court Press. Eric France and Amadre Salveson. Thanks for joining us for hour number two. However, wherever you're doing so on 1069 FM, 1390 AM, 1069 and the fan.com, and our mobile app, the 106.9 The Fan uh, mobile app, where you can carry us wherever you are. Uh, they should have an all star game. It, it's it's a part of a lot of players' contracts that if you, and part of the details, if you qualify for a Supermax. And for a lot of different bonuses for players and for coaches. I have other choice words about LeBron, but can't be said over the radio. I'll fix that 6891. Just text <laughs> him in and I'll find a way to get him in there, buddy. Don't you worry. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so so LeBron James came out. Uh, we talked about this uh, coming out of hour number one. Uh, and has said that the All-Star game being played is like a slap in the face to the players. I, let me read the quote for you, though. He says, quote, I have zero energy and zero excitement about an all-star game this year. I don't even understand why we're having an all-star game. Short season for myself and my teammates, 71 days. Uh, Also, uh, then coming into the season, we were told that we were not having an all-star game, so we'd have a nice little break. Five days in March, which is uh, from the 5th through the 10th, an opportunity opportunity for me to kind of recalibrate for the second half of the season my teammates as well some of the guys in the league and then they throw an all-star game on us like this is like this and just breaks that all the way up so um pretty much kind of a slap in the face end quote okay so again i like i emphasize this lebron you're gonna get voted into the all-star game you're gonna be voted in as a starter you're well ahead in the votes are you going to say, yeah, I'm going to play. I'd love to play. Currently, he's the number one vote getter in the West. He's uh, about 750,000 votes ahead of Nikola Jokic. Look, if he has that kind of an attitude, I tell him to stay home. Look, if you want the break, go. go. Like, No one's forcing you to play in the All-Star game. Did you get voted in? Sure. But if you opt out, no one's going to be like, Oh, that's. I mean, you're not even gonna have a full capacity crowd at the All Star game. No, it's gonna be very minimal. No, so just sit your butt home, go hang out, and let somebody else participate who hasn't got their opportunity to start. That's just fine. Well, and I think it will be there will be limited festivities at this year's All Star game. I mean, there's, the league is still working it out. Yeah, talking to the players' association. Skills challenge, right? 
trying to do things on a limited basis, not over so many days, um, just trying to limit the number of people that would be involved. But it's still, it should be a celebration of the of of the players and what they've done this year. It's for the fans. Yeah, it's for the fans. But no, please make it about you, LeBron. Because you've I mean, never we've, done that. We've given a lot of criticism for the NBA All Star Game over the years. That it's a showcase and it's kind of pathetic and in different uh, for different reasons. And I still hold to those opinions. But it, it does mean something for a player if he's named as an All Star. So my question is: Is why did Chris Paul agree to it? I mean, he's one of the what him and Michelle Roberts were two of the head over the uh, NBA Players Association. How do you agree to that? Why can't you get a filling of the room and say, wait, well, I'm sorry, LeBron, Anthony Davis, Giannis, you guys don't want an all-star game. Okay, well, then I'm going to return that message. I mean, because and, and I think if you ask the players, I think they're with LeBron. I think they'd rather just have five days off where they get to go home, be with their families, and then come back and go to work again for the second half of the season. I guess I think it depends on who you ask. <clears throat> I know De'Aaron Fox, he's saying some stuff like, He's kind of against it too, and here's a young up and coming star. You think he would be all for it? Yeah, he doesn't want to be a part. Of it. But and I think I, for others, it's like it's still that recognition. It means something to have on your resume. I was an all star. Yeah, and you're just not going to do that this year. Are they going to do just something that? Hey, uh, we're taking a break. It's a five day vacation. A pause, five day pause in the middle of the season. Um, you know what and you we'll do? just do like some honorable mention yeah. stuff. So, like, good so, job. You're a first team half season guy. Well, you know what maybe you do is like you have inside the NBA. Is it inside the NBA? TNT? Yeah. You have them announce the all-star or all-star rosters. And maybe you just like do interviews with the with the starters. They're at home. You interview them and you call it good. You have like a one-hour <laughs> special. a highlight special for one night? Yeah. I mean, just like here's the first half highlights. But then you interview the starters. You get all their thoughts. And you just do like a one, maybe a 90-minute special on it. That is it. That is all you do to recognize the All-Star stuff. Yeah. I, I And I actually don't disagree with LeBron. I just think it's kind of petty to say that and then go play in the All-Star game. That's what bothers me. Hey, if you want to text into the show, 435-339-0321. You are invited into our show all the time. 435-339-0321. Aggie 69, Fresno 53. Game one is inside of uh, Safe Smart Center. Aggies were great. Bench was incredible, and no double figure scores for Fresno. Yeah, and I, I thought that Utah State handled uh, their their defensive presence really well, um, yeah, holding their own against uh, a, a Fresno team that's pretty good defensively too. Yeah, um, and uh, I really liked how Keta really went to work in the second half, opened things up offensively for Utah State. Eight of the first ten points came from Keta in the paint. And I thought that really set an important tone, and the Aggies really started to pull away. Um, now, last hour, I was saying that uh, I thought Fresno was really tough when they had both Mia and Robinson on the court together. Those are two seven-footers, two of the three seven-footers that Fresno State has on their roster. And uh, I, I said that I felt like defensively they were harder against the Aggies um, to, uh, to do what they needed to do. And offensively, Utah State had a hard time keeping them out of the paint. Um, Nine four six three text in to disagree. Just having two footers, two seven footers on the floor, is just an analytical loss in every scenario. 
unless the seven-footers are Chris Depps, Porzingis, and Joel Embiid. Their contribution on the offensive end is so much worse analytically than having a scorer on the floor. That's why those Warriors teams with Draymond at the five were so dominant. What you lose in rebounds and at-the-rim defense, you gain back tenfold in offensive production. There's a reason they were called the death lineup, and Fresno is losing by 20 every other night. Good point. It's a fair point, but I think you have to be careful comparing NBA analytics to college. There you go. That's yeah. because the the offensive skill set in the NBA is so different, and the way that the game is played is is very different. But I understand the point um, that, that's that's trying to be made there. Um, if you're a team that likes to do points in the paint, having two seven footers to contend with is going to make it really hard. Yeah. If you're a team that just relies on three-point shooting and outside shooting, it doesn't really matter if they have two seven-footers out there. Uh, Utah State's three-point shooting was not fantastic. No. It wasn't an emphasis either. But uh, there were stretches in the game where having those two seven-footers out there made it really hard for Utah State. And I was surprised that they didn't go with it more later in the game because during those stretches, they were very effective. Uh, going back to the NBA All-Star Game, so I'm going to just jump on a ship here. Uh, 9315, how will it affect the TV ratings with no James at the All-Star Game? It won't. Casual fans will tune in. Diehard fans will tune in as well. I don't know for how long the casual fans, but they'll tune in for a little bit. I mean, I might take a peek at it. Now, if Donovan Mitchell's in it, I'll watch. I will. I'll watch it. If he's not and there's no Jazz players, I might glance at it and get away from it. Uh, 5763, you don't need an all-star game to have all-stars. Thank you. By all means, just recognize the stars without a game. If they don't want to play a 90-minute special inside the NBA, you recognize those uh, starters who were uh, who were voted. Interview them if you want, and then recognize the reserves, and we're done. We're out. Yeah, but it's not just about recognizing the players. This is a hard discussion to have with the players themselves, that this is a financial decision about more than anything. The league needs this game to happen for TV revenue, for sponsorship opportunities. They need the All-Star game to take place. Do they need all the other festivities surrounding it? Probably not. Uh, they could pull it off in a slimmed-down fashion, but still have an All-Star game. Maybe even a slam dunk and a three-point shootout. But... Um, some of the other things that happen surrounding All-Star Weekend, eh, you could probably do without some of those things. Uh, 9315, if I heard it right, both big men for USU have the same goal. Then does that mean Dorius is wanting to try for the NBA? Dorius will not be in the NBA. I can assure you that right now. Uh, let's not split hairs Yeah, over little things like that. <laughs> yeah, Dorius will not be in the NBA. Does he want to go to the NBA? Sure. I'm sure he does. But so do I, and so does Eric Franson, if we can be honest <laughs> with each other. <laughs> Same goals meaning that they they want to help the team win. Yeah, it's a national ch- – it's a Mount West Conference championship, both regular season and tournament. And then with that, it's a uh, birth in the NCAA tournament in Indianapolis. Hey, there, before we move on, um, we had a great conversation. I think this was about a week ago we asked each other this. And I'd like to hear from our listeners, too, again, 435-339-0321. When it gets to the tournament, and I'm not going to ask Craig Smith this because I've learned my lesson, 
when it gets to the tournament, would you rather see Boise State on your side of the bracket or Colorado State? Or would you rather actually let no hold on? Would you rather see Colorado State or UNLV, a team that you're three and nineteen against at their place, or a athletic Colorado State squad? Uh, see, they split with both of those teams. Yeah. Um, I think, I think I'd probably rather have UNLV. Me too. On their side yeah, of the me bracket. Me too. Yep. Okay, Colorado State or Boise State? I don't know, but uh, we haven't uh, played Boise State, so I just it. don't uh, hard know. Hard for me to answer that because we haven't seen the Broncos yet and how the Aggies match up against them. Because, and, and this is, I mean, not to try to, you know, skip a couple steps in the process, but if you if you win tomorrow night, again, FS1, 8 p.m., uh, game two for Aggies and Bulldogs, and then you sweep next week, all you have to do is split with Boise State. Because I would honestly, you could probably go ahead and assume that San Diego State and Boise State is going to split in San Diego State in that final week of play. Well, you look at the trajectory that the Aztecs are on right now, I'd be very, very concerned about Leon Rice and the Broncos. Yeah, and you have to go to San Diego State and play them. I would be very confident they're going to split. If you split with Boise State... I think they're going to take care of Nevada. Um, you, you're the number one seed, and you win the Mount West Conference regular season championship with that. So there's still a lot of things to be said here in uh, in the process of the Mount West Conference regular season. Again, game two tomorrow night, 8 p.m. Yeah, and don't overlook Fresno State. Uh, I think their their three top guys were really pretty ineffective in a lot of ways uh, last night. So I, I would. I think you have to give Utah State credit for their defensive uh, game plan to do that, but uh, I don't know that they're going to have a similar kind of game tomorrow. I would expect Stroud to be more of a scorer, Hill to be more of a facilitator, and uh, and Robinson to be more effective in in the paint and trying to do show off his versatility a little bit. So I I still like Utah State to win. I think they're they're better, well rounded team. Uh, Fresno does a lot of one-on-one stuff, isolation stuff. Um, but uh, I think it'll be a closer game. Don't overlook the Bulldogs. Yeah, absolutely. Again, game two tomorrow night. Uh, pre-game at 7 p.m. And then uh, with Al Lewis and Jalen Moore, and then post-game Eric, Jalen, and Al Lewis immediately fall in the game where you can also participate as well. Uh, all right, so we'll have our Friday Five Best coming up, which is the five best sports records to be held. Um, or greatest achievements, however, which way you want to look at it. Uh, credit to 5338 for sending us the idea. Uh, 9315, I'm glad we have San Diego State when we did, when they'd be harder to play than now. Right. Like, we got San Diego State at the right time, early. Like, if we could have ever asked for one gift, is to get them at the early portion of the season. If you're Boise State, back-to-back weeks, home against the Aggies, on the road at San Diego State. It's not a gimme at all whatsoever. Hey, would you have rather, if you're Boise State, would you rather play San Diego State at San Diego State and Utah State at home or Utah State at the Spectrum and then go to Vejas or, or, and then have uh, San Diego State come to your house? Which one would you rather have? Um, Probably have San Diego State in Boise. Really? Hmm. Interesting. All right. All right. I like it. I don't know. 
Uh, I don't know what their record is. Uh, they have a hard time traditionally in Viejas. Uh, they have a hard time traditionally. Dude, in I don't know. Look, this Boise State team's really good. Like, I, I, I honestly, I could see a split coming. Okay, so we're gonna have our Friday Five Best coming up here in the second portion of the hour. Jazz got a nice win over the Hawks, and now they face Charlotte tonight. Right, that game's tipping off. Um, within the next hour. Okay. Uh, but we're not going to carry it here on the fan like we normally would because have you basketball? It's a high school basketball night. But Jazz are favored by eight and a half. And by the way, Gordon Hayward has been playing really well as of late. He's, yeah, he has. In fact, he's he's probably he had was one my of player his better of the week. seasons in a while. Yeah, yeah, he's had one of his better seasons in a while. Now, are you still bitter about the way he left and what he did to the Jazz? Um, I don't look how he left the jazz and how he treated Gail Miller. So disrespectful. Uh, that doesn't change. Um, what has helped a lot of jazz fans forget about Gordon Hayward is Donovan Mitchell. How he's come onto the scene and how he's helped the team. Um, so you know what, Gordon, I don't, whatever. I don't really care if he's doing well in Charlotte. Yeah. Good for him. Don't bother me. Uh, some people are still like really anti Gordon Hayward. Uh, I've moved on. It's a different team now, and I'm excited for what the Jazz are doing right now. I'm not looking back at what happened those four or five years ago and and to still wringing my hands over it. Uh, was it not? Was it uh, a bad way? Was it distasteful how he left? Did I wish he could have stayed? Yeah, I think it would have been fun to see how he and uh, Donovan would have played next to each other. But, yeah, it's gone. It's done. It's whatever. He's moved moving on. on. So have I. I uh, I'm not bitter as I used to be because Donovan Mitchell's here. If Donovan Mitchell isn't here and we are a team in the cellar of the Western Conference, I'm bitter. Like, I, I, I think it's because of the way things played out. I'm, I'm okay with it. Now what I'd like to see... Donovan Mitchell and Gordon Hayward on the court together? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, and I think maybe part of what, for me, is that he went to Boston, had that horrific injury, was out a full year, uh, just struggled with his role when he came back, and just he he was never really that same player. So, meanwhile, here's Donovan Mitchell. He's rising in the ranks. He's uh, He becomes an all-star. He's an exciting young player. He's taking the Jazz to the playoffs. It made it easy for fans to forget about Gordon Hayward. But if had that injury not happened and Boston was a great team in the East and going to the Eastern Conference, deep into the Eastern Conference playoffs, maybe even the NBA Finals, then I think a lot of Jazz fans would still be very sour oh, <laughs> towards yeah. Gordon Hayward. And rightfully so. Rightfully so. I just, and I'm with you. I just hate the way he didn't call Gail. Tell her thanks for drafting me. Thanks for giving me a chance. Because he had this, he said he wanted to write a love letter to Brad Stevens, and we know how that went. Um, I'm glad things didn't work out for him in Boston. And if they would have, and he would have won a championship, I would have hated basketball forever. All right, uh, let's take a break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk Super Bowl 55. Are we at 55 now, Eric? Yeah, 55. Super Bowl 55. So as we are at break, we want everybody to text in their predictions and scores. We'll read them on air. 435-339-0321, or if you want to call in, 435-752-1069. What is your prediction of Sunday's game in Super Bowl 55 between the Chiefs and Bucks? 
It's all coming up here on the Full Court Press. But first, Nate Kregman and this week in the Mountain West. The Full Court Press, weekday afternoons from 4 to 6 on Sports Talk Radio, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM, The Fan. Just glad you do it during break instead of during the show when I ask you questions. You're like, "Oh, sorry, I wasn't paying attention. It was I was looking at a raccoon eating what? a popsicle." I would never. I have receipts, Eric. Just remember, we record everything <laughs> as you once taught me. Yes, we, we do record, record everything. everything. Eric France and AJ Salveson here on the Full Court Press. Thanks for joining us again. We want your score predictions of Super Bowl Fifty Five. Gonna be a good one. Chiefs, Buccaneers, Brady versus Mahomes. Legacies on the line in both those guys' career, obviously, with this one. Uh, or Bruce versus Andy Reid. One guy's got one, the other doesn't, but he's on the cusp of having it. Uh, 9833 says KC 35, Tampa Bay 24. 5763, Chiefs 31 28. And you're kind of going with the norm here because it seems like a lot, Eric, a lot of uh, people, I guess a lot of analyst experts, quote unquote. Say hey, this is this is going the Chiefs' way. A lot of people, yes, going with the Chiefs. Uh, I am too. Oh, we, but yeah, my, of course you are. My optimism of my pick has been waning in the last few days. There are serious questions about the Kansas City offensive line. Uh, they've got a coaching staff member, Andy Reid's son, who was in an accident, hurt some young people. Alcohol smelled on his breath. So there, there are just some serious distractions and concerns with this Kansas City team. Um, so I don't think it's going to be as, as much of a runaway as, as people think. And I know there's been a lot of people critical of Tom Brady. A lot of people are like, oh, he's going to throw interceptions. He's going to make mistakes. Look what he did in the uh, NFC Championship game. And I, I get that. I understand why people might say that, but the guy is a gamer. It's hard to take that away from him. And when you've gone to 10 of them, <laughs> you know what it takes. Yeah. So uh, I wouldn't overlook that. So I still have Kansas City winning. Uh, Greg Max and our guy texts in. He says, Bucks 27-23. Uh, I like 9-8-3-3 score, but I want like, to flip that. I think Tampa Bay is going to put up some points. I'm with nine eight three three on the score. It's the team that I think is going to win is Tampa Bay. Now there is defense. Like both defenses will come ready to go. In fact, I think the Buccaneers' defense is uh, is probably the best defense that the Chiefs will have seen in in, in since I don't know week fourteen or so. But even with that, Bills' defense was pretty good. Yeah. But here's the thing: is is the when they last met, Eric was in week twelve. The quarterbacks, Mahomes and Brady, combined for like 807 yards, six touchdowns. Their star receivers both had multiple touchdowns. Mike Evans had two. Tyreek Hill, I think, had two in that game as well. I mean, it was an offensive showcase. 27-24 Chiefs won the game. Uh, do it again, and I'd say that uh, I think the Buccaneers win this one. And, and, and here's the thing is, people think that this will be a defensive battle. I do not think it will be, but... I think it's the first quarterback to blink, meaning the first quarterback to make a mistake. I think the first quarterback to turn over the ball is give me the is is uh, his team's going to lose the Super Bowl, and I think Mahomes is going to be the one that turn that that is the one that throws the turnover. I guess if that's the way to say it, throws an interception, fumbles the ball. I think it's a pick more than anything. 
But I just mm. it's it's um it takes one defensive stop, one defensive turnover to swing the whole entire momentum of this game. And I think that momentum's gonna be swung by the Buccaneers. They did a great job with it against Rodgers two weeks ago, and I think they're gonna do it here. Yeah. I I could see that. Um hey. that that Tampa defense though gave up a lot in the second half. Uh, they did enough to hold on to win, but Aaron Aaron Rodgers started picking them apart in the second half. Um, but in the end, they did enough, right? And that's all you need to do is just True. just make sure you do enough. Hey, who do you give the quarterback advantage to? A guy who's fourteen and one on the season and has just came off a Super Bowl last year. Or a guy who's going to his 10th Super Bowl with a brand new football team with only one other guy who's been to the Super Bowl, and that's Rob Gronkowski, his former teammate with the Pats. Who has the advantage in regards to quarterbacks in this Super Bowl? Well, that's a fair question. Um, you know, Both have been there. Both have been to, to uh, Super Bowls very recently. So it's not like one's going to be distracted by the bright lights and the cameras and all the attention that comes with it because they've been there. They understand. Um, certainly Brady does have all the experience on his side, but Mahomes comes in with a lot of swagger and confidence oh, of yeah. his own. And, and that offense, by the way, comes in with a lot of swagger. He too. knows he's got a lot of great weapons, weapons he can him. utilize. Who has the better running game? Now, Sammy Watkins looks like he's going to return for Kansas City tomorrow night or on Sunday night. Leonard Fournette and this beast of a running game that's really been humming in the last two weeks of football, especially in the playoffs for the Buccaneers. Who has the advantage in the running game? And I know the Buccaneers run the ball a lot more than the Chiefs do, but I think it's just but yards per carry is going towards the Chiefs by like 2.5. It's incredible. That's interesting. Yeah, I would probably say the Buccaneers would have the better advantage in the run game. Um, But... Do you include Patrick Mahomes in the run game? The scramble ability? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. The the, the zone read option? It's hard. Yeah, it's yeah, absolutely I would definitely throw that in there. And then of course you got the receiving talent. Travis Kelty, uh, who has four hundred and eighteen receiving yards. Chris Godwin's at three ninety eight. By the way, they're one and two. They're one and two in the league. Uh when they are motioning from left to right or right to left. And they're also one and two in touchdowns on such plays as well. Like expect a lot of uh, gadget offense in regards to both teams, especially from the Chiefs side. Yeah, that's one of their. I mean, Andy Reid is kind of a mad scientist. Uh, he gets his coaching staff together and say, "Okay, what do we have in a room? What do we have in our in our in our locker room? And what can we do with it?" It's not like a conventional. This is our style. This is what we're going to do. We're going to stick with it, and we're just going to be very good at what we do and, and hold firm to those truths. Uh, they're very adaptable, and they're, they're, uh, they're more than happy to, to throw things out there and, and figure it out. So I, I think there's a, there is a coaching advantage with Andy Reid and his staff over Bruce Arians. And so I think because of that, I would kind of agree with you. I think we'll see some things that may be a little unconventional. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that you will know catch we Tampa will. Bay a absolutely. Off guard. Uh, and then on the defensive side of the ball, on one side, it's Chris Jones 
and it's the Honey Badger, Tyrone uh, Matthew. On the other side, it's going to be Shaquille Barrett and Jason Pierre, which, by the way, both rank top five in pass rush uh, as edge rushers in the postseason so far. I just, I mean, if you have to give an advantage for defense, I just think I was so, and I know Aaron Rodgers finally caught momentum in the second half, but it took him forever. And I just feel like if you give, if you have to look at an edge on the defense side of the ball, I give it to Tampa Bay. Not by much, but I think just based on the defensive line's ability to get to the quarterback and the linebacker's athleticism, I would go Tampa Bay. But I think, I mean, the, the defensive backfield for the Chiefs is just absolutely superb. Yeah, it's good. They're great at takeaways and uh, not just taking the ball away, but taking away opportunities on the s- certain parts of the field. Just the way that they cover, um, just the way that they blanket their defenders. Um, just they they eliminate opportunities for for their opposing quarterbacks. But in the end, really, Kansas City's forte is we're going to overwhelm you with offense, and that's really their their strength. Um, they're not a bad defensive team, but they're they're so much better than everybody else offensively that provides such an advantage, a mental advantage over their opponents. 9463 takes us into our next topic of conversation of Super Bowl 55. Am I the only one who thinks the hype around Pat Mahomes is a little out of hand? I mean, he is absolutely insane, probably a top five QB in terms of raw talent. Uh, but one Super Bowl, one MVP, two Super Bowl appearances is basically Ben Roethlisberger. I know his ceiling is potentially the highest of all time, and he's in the perfect scenario to keep winning and winning. But I think the hype around him being potentially the greatest ever is a little overblown. What do you guys think it would take for him to be considered in the same argument as Brady and Montana? Well, A, he can't lose this game. If he wants to be in that discussion, you got to beat Brady. Eli Manning, I'm not going to throw Nick Foles in there. I'm not having that conversation, but Eli Manning, definitely. He did it twice. And Pat Mahomes has a chance to do it. So not only that, but then he has a chance to be the first quarterback to win two championships and an MVP at 25 years old. He'd be the only the second player ever to do that. The other guy, Emmett Smith. I agree that there the hype is getting a little out of control. People are like already declaring dynasty status, and uh, yeah, this is a guy that's going to be the next like Michael Jordan for for football. And look. <laughs> the guy's yeah, you're right. He's only won one title. He's a he's a dynamic, fun player to watch. He's a great uh, guy off the off the field for endorsements and things like that. But let's slow that roll a little bit. Let the guy actually earn the achievements. Yeah, before let us we give breathe a little bit, William. Well, he's got to earn them. Yeah, I mean, he's got to come away with the hardware. He's done it once, but. There have been way too many people getting ahead of themselves about uh, his legacy. It's one Super Bowl. Let's, okay, uh, he has the potential to win more. Yeah, but let's see if he can. There have been other great players who we said, "Look, oh, that's a great young player. Let's see what he can do." And then injury or trades or the franchise changes things, and he doesn't have the best system around him, and it doesn't ever quite fulfill that the preconceived hope and and hype around him. So. Let's let's just enjoy this year as it is, and if he continues to win, then we can look back and say, yes, he was great. Now let's compare him to others who also did great things. Mahomes threw for 4,740 yards, 38 TDs, 6 picks, uh, with an 82.9 total QB rating. Not not too shabby. 
Uh, he's also won 12 straight road neutral side games. He's 3-1 over the past three years or three postseason years when trailing by 10-plus points. Uh, the guy can do it. He can make a comeback. He can get your team right back in the game just like that. But again, I'm with you. Like, let's see if he can do it versus, I mean, this is a much more quality defense than I think the 49ers were last year. I, 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 I like, just all around. Uh, uh, really? JPP, that defensive backfield, ball hawking. San Francisco front was. That, the front was, was really good. pretty yes, impressive. You're darn right a about year that. Ago. Absolutely. But I feel like the defensive backfield wasn't as talented as this, as the one this year is, though. Hmm. Okay. Uh, I don't. Agree to disagree? Yeah, I just got to agree to disagree. I, I, not to take anything away from Tampa's defense. Sure. But that was a really good San Francisco defense a year ago. Uh, now let's jump to the other side. No introduction needed for this man and playing in his 10th Super Bowl. He'll start it in 48% of the Super Bowls since 2000, which is when he came into the league. <laughs> he's 43 years old. It's his uh, seventh championship he's looking for. Uh, third Super Bowl since turning 40. Like, this guy's done it all. And, uh, in fact, this year he was really, really good. First year away from New England, threw for 4,633 yards. 40 uh, touchdown passes, 12 picks with a 72.6 total QB rating. Uh, 13 TDs on uh, throws, 20 yards down the field. He still freaking got it. That's Tom Brady. Uh, look, he doesn't need to win this uh, game to cement his legacy. But I said something to somebody earlier, Eric, and I want to get your thoughts. The guy came back from a 28-3 deficit in the Super Bowl to beat the Falcons. That's incredible. 28-3 in the third quarter, and he can't help his team come back to win it in overtime. And then he went to another Super Bowl, and route to that Super Bowl, he beat Kansas City in Kansas City in a chilly night in overtime with three third down passes on the money. I mean, on the dang money. This guy's done it all. And I told someone, because they asked me, Audrey, why does he stay in the league? Like, wouldn't you have hung it up after that sixth Super Bowl? Yeah, I would have. But there's something about a guy who gets drafted 199, who had to sit behind guys like Brian Greasy and Drew Henson, and then turn around and now win a chance to win seven Super Bowls. I think he's there to get that seventh just so he can surpass Michael Jordan. Like, he got, I mean, he got the four. He got the, uh, he's got six now. He's He's been to nine, or I guess now ten. He's done everything. And now he's got his team hosting a Super Bowl. I swear to you to life that I really think he's there just to get number seven. So the next time that him and Michael Jordan do play pickup ball on an ocean side near court, he can say, hey, by the way, here's ring number seven. <laughs> just so okay. everybody can say, hey, he's got more than Jordan. Jordan 6-0, and but Brady 7-3. and I know it's a long tangent, but I'm just saying, like Tom Brady is playing in his 10th Super Bowl, and that's mind-boggling to me. That is crazy. It is absolutely crazy. And I think you're right. His legacy is cemented. Um, but it's a chance to do it in another league. Yeah. And then the other conference. <laughs> That's nuts. The totally different franchise. Um, you know, kind of what LeBron was able to do. Yeah. Moving around. He's done it with three different teams now yeah. in two different conferences. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it is a monumental achievement that he's there. Uh, I just, 
I don't know if he gets it, though. I think experience is on his side, no question. Uh, I think he benefits from some really good pieces around him. I just think he's coming into a buzzsaw of a team that's got a lot of confidence. And the Buccaneers don't have a lot of confidence, and they're not a buzzsaw right now? No, just... What? I mean, they just beat New Orleans and Green Bay. By the way, the last four teams to be to uh, go from wild card to Super Bowl won it. Like, in... I, I mean, that's... You want to talk about having some momentum. This team's got it. Sure, but the Chiefs have had it all year. Not just the last couple of games, like, yeah, to get themselves true. into position to that's make the playoffs. Point. That's a good point. Yeah, f- uh, they lost... They had one loss all year, or two? Two. Yeah, to the Chargers? At the end of the season... No, sorry, to open the season... And then the Raiders in a bit of a surprise. Um, but other than that, I mean, this just a team playing with a lot of uh, a lot of confidence, a lot of playmakers around a very dynamic quarterback. They're a very dangerous team. One of the highest scoring offenses uh, in the NFL, and not a bad defense either. Uh, let's take a break. We'll come back. We'll continue our thoughts on this, but then we also got our Friday Five Best that we need to get to with the uh, five best records uh, in sports history. So more here coming on the full court press. If you got a score prediction for Super Bowl Fifty Five, let's hear it. Four three five three three nine zero three two one. It doesn't matter who you root for. The Full Court Press has all the high school sports covered. The Full Court Press. Connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and online at 1069thefan.com. Full Court Press here at France and Alex Salison, 544. Your time getting ready to wrap it up for a weekend. Get you ready for the weekend. Aggies, Fresno, tomorrow night, 8 o'clock. Pre-game, 7 o'clock on KVNU with Al and Jalen. Post-game, Eric, Al, and Jalen. Uh, immediately following the game itself. We get to hear from coach and a player uh, and to hear your guys' thoughts and share your thoughts as well as an Aggie fan. So uh, be a part of that. It's a pretty cool opportunity. Love and well with the work you guys do. It's awesome. Uh, Super Bowl 55. So what was your score prediction, Eric? I've been trying to think of that. Okay, um, why are you thinking about it? So we wrote it, it down. It's just actually here here, with... that, was, that was cold turkey. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that to you. Give me you, but you're picking the Chiefs, right? Yes. Give me three keys for a Chiefs win. Uh, I I think set the tone offensively, um, explosive plays, keep um, keep Tampa on their heels, um, and I think defensively, um, get after and confuse Tom Brady. I think it's hard to confuse Tom Brady, but he's seen it all. Yeah, but if but go ahead, but they have to apply pressure on him. They have to get after him. Uh, you got to get his jersey dirty. Okay. Uh, for for me, I'll give you my three keys uh, for a Bucks win because I'm picking the Bucks. One, protect Tom Brady. In the three Super Bowls that Tom Brady lost, he got hit hard. He got knocked around. I mean, they beat him up. Michael Strahan, JPP, and that defense built a blueprint in 07 of how to defeat the Patriots and how to trouble Brady. It is by getting in his grill and hitting him 
every single time. Strahan once said, we were going to hit him even if he let go of the ball. He said, and, and he said, even if we were to get a penalty for a late hit, we didn't care. We were going to hit him to make him realize we were there. And he didn't have to hit him much longer. He just started getting sketchy with the feet. Same thing happened in uh, 2012. Same thing happened in 2017 when they lost to the Eagles. Or, yeah, 16 or 17 when they lost to Philadelphia. So, um, you got to protect Brady. The second thing, establish a running game. If you can get Leonard Fournette and this running crew in rhythm, play action's going to set up. It's going to be there. You got the talent, the wideouts, use it. And third, defense has to get a turnover. They have to get a turnover. You'll get the points if you get the turnover, if you get the ball to Brady. Give him a shot. Give him a second chance. All right. I think it'll be a fun Super Bowl. Oh, absolutely. Me too. This is going to be a good one. What's your score prediction? I think it's a good matchup. Uh, I've been trying to remember. I think it was like 31-28. Okay. Mine's going to be... Or something close to that. Mine's going to be 34-31 Bucks. I like the Bucks 34-31. Um... Now, we wrote it down as part of our tiebreaker yesterday, but I don't have that sheet with me. I can't me. remember anymore either. <laughs> I'm but I'm changing my mind after reading some more stuff, though, too. I'm doing some more research on it. Uh, all right, Eric, let's take a break. We're going to come back. We're going to give our Friday Five Best. Five best records ever in sports history all here on The Fan. Northern Utah and Southern Idaho's home for sports. It's the Full Court Press on Sports Talk Radio, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM. The Fan. Eric Franson here, Audrey Salveson, Full Court Press. Five minutes left in the show. Let's go ahead and get to our Friday Five Best. Thanks to 5338 for this idea. The top five. What are you laughing at? 5338 just sent out a text. Oh, he did? No. What did he say? Would you like to buy one of my Mozart paintings to put in the Full Court Press lounge? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Actually, you know what? I would. And then he has his own uh, top five unbreakables. Well, you know what? Since he came up with the idea, let's let him go first. Uh, he doesn't rank them. That's all right. Give it to us, though. Uh, but top five unbreakable. UConn women's basketball team, 111 wins in a row. Wilt Chamberlain's 100 points in one game. No three-point shot, no illegal defense. John Stockton's 15,000-plus career assists. Nobody else has more than 10,000. Mario Lemieux scoring five different ways in one game. Bobby Orr being the only hockey defenseman to ever lead the league in scoring in a season. He did it twice. And Jimmy Connors winning the U.S. Open on three different surfaces. I like that. Good work, 5338. Thanks yeah, for the good. idea. That was good stuff. Good stuff. All right, Eric. Some what of you those got might five? be, uh, some you mentioned might be on our lists, too. Amen. Uh, what do you got, number five? Number five on my list, Ricky Henderson. Who? Stolen bases, 1,406. That is more than 460 ahead of the next guy. Wow. Part of the reason why, I mean, there's a huge gap there. But the other reason why I think it's one of the most unbreakable is it's really not as much a part of the game anymore. Mm. Now, maybe it shifts later on in a different era down the road where stolen bases is a lost art that gets rediscovered. But right now, it's not as much of the game as it was then. And what Ricky Henderson did, he was a, a, he was a savant at stealing bases. Number five for me is Joe DiMaggio's 56-game hitting streak. Think about it. The next guy who came closest to him was Pete Rose, and he got it to 44. During that span of May to July, he was hitting 408. That's incredible. Wow. 56-game hitting streak, and, and the only other person who came close was in 78. All right, number four on my list, 
Wayne Gretzky's points, uh, just such a huge gap between him and everybody else, nearly 1,000 points ahead of the next guy. It's Yarmer Yager. Uh, when you look at uh, including the playoffs, it's over 1,000 points uh, ahead of uh, uh, Messier. Uh, but Wayne Gretzky was just amazing at what he did. Uh, and he also leads hockey and assists. So it's incredible what he was able to do. And his gap between what he did himself versus the next guy is so big. My uh, number four is the same guy, same stat. And in fact, the uh, whoever wants to come close to beating Gretzky or please beat Gretzky needs to average 140 points over the next 20 years. Yeah, good luck with that. Yeah. Um, number three on my list, John Stockton assists. 15,806 that's 3,700 more than Jason Kidd. The current player uh, that's still active that's closest is Chris Paul at 9,822. Such a huge gap. I don't, th- I don't think anybody's going to catch John. Uh, number three for me is UCLA's men's basketball 88 game winning streak. Mm. That was impressive. Uh, and the fact that they won, uh, if I'm not mistaken, they won four national championships straight in during that span. Uh, one of the most unbeatable teams. People, they were so good that people were accusing John Wooden of cheating. You know how that goes. You win a lot of games, or you're a cheater. Uh, number two uh, on my list, uh, I've got Jerry Rice receiving yards, uh, nearly twenty-three thousand receiving yards. That's fifty-four hundred ahead of Larry Fitzgerald, who's number two. Again, for me, it was just what is the gap between number one and number two. And to make it, 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 could this ever be surpassed? And that is such a huge gap between Jerry Rice and every other wide receiver. Number two for me is, uh, this one brings back some really hard times, um, but it's an incredible achievement. 26 straight losses by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. <laughs> from I remember back in the day <laughs> when I would that? watch these guys, and I would be incredibly I we sad. we celebrating good We things. are, because you see where they're at now. I remember back in 76 and 77, <laughs> When I would watch them, <laughs> when you were a I was in your mom's really, eye. really sad, and uh, oh. I, I would cry. And, All right. uh, and now I see that they're in the Super Bowl, and I wear those jerseys in memory of those teams that sucked so bad <laughs> to make such a great story for Sunday night. Okay, number one on my list. <laughs> now, Wilt Chamberlain was mentioned for his 100-point game, but what stands out to me above that is is his 50.4 points per game for a season. Can you imagine somebody averaging 50 points a game in an NBA season in today's game? It's absurd. It's unreal. He averaged 30 points and 20 rebounds a game for a season seven different times. Guy was amazing. Number one for me is Kyle Ripken, Mr. Ironman himself. 2,632 consecutive games played for 16 years straight. Think about all the reasons that players miss games today. This record will never, ever, ever be broken in any sport at all whatsoever. That's that's amazing. Boy, this was tough. A lot of honorable mentions. Uh, Pete Rose and all of his hits. Uh, Cy Young and all of his wins. Um, Secretary at the 31 lengths win in the Triple Crown. No one's going to break that record. Crazy. This was fun to do. Appreciate the uh, the opportunity to go do some research here and talk about great achievements in sports, even if they were futility. 